passage is interesting because with some of our, our popular uh, books lately, like Left Behind and stuff, remember in the context of that with Noah, you don't want to be taken, you want to be left. The people who are taken were the judged. want to be left. So, as we're starting our series here, as we look forward to Christmas, you know, when we look at the Bible, read the Bible, and even looking at, at history, we can see big events like the movement of nations and prophecy and even signs in the sky that all point towards Jesus as the culmination of all this stuff. But also in the Bible, there's not just the big stories, there's small stories of individual lives that can also point me to Jesus. And so this this season, I want to look at some of the the small stories, the individual life stories. Because sometimes those are the most meaningful, you know, the personal stories that that an individual may have to experience that that point to something important. Whether it's you know, I think of you know, the birth of a child. And it's what we're getting towards towards Christmas. You know, I think of the birth of my child. Whether it's my own or a relatives or friends or siblings, that's that's the story that makes it meaningful to me. Not the birth of children, the birth of a child. And the birth of Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, is one of those stories. That's who we're going to start with today. His story in the big scheme of things, that's part of the founding of the nation of Israel. It's a big story. But it's also the story of one family that's given hope. And we can't live without hope. Before we go to the scriptures, let's let's pray. God, you are our God of hope. You provide streams in the desert, a way in the wilderness, and salvation when there is none. We pray that we find hope in your story today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. I don't believe that people can live without hope. Even if, if all I have is a little bit of hope that, well, it can't get any worse... That's still hope. And it was interesting. Some of you may know I'm a, I was a psychology minor in college. So I know enough to know I don't know a whole lot, but I know how to research psychology. You know, psychology has been its own academic discipline separate from philosophy for 150 years. It started in the late 1800s. But it's only been in the last 30 years that our supposed human experts in the mind and brain have figured out that it's important that human beings have hope. Only in the last 30 years they decided to study that. Oh yeah, people need hope. 
They said what, what they've researched and actually found, it doesn't matter how much talent, skill, or ability, whatever we want to have, that's not enough to get us where we want to go. It helps, but it's not enough. Without the hope to drive us, we never get to where we want to go, no matter how talented we may be. It doesn't how much, matter how much grit we have or conscientiousness we have or our uh, self-esteem or optimism or passion. It's all important, but it doesn't matter if a person doesn't have hope. Hope involves, it's not just a feeling, it involves the will to get there. And if somebody has the will to get there, the hope allows them to, to, to find multiple different ways to get there, to strive. No matter how the twists and turns and pitfalls may happen, if a person has hope, they keep going. It says, you know, the research shows that a person that has hope is, uh, they, they engage in learning goals. It's like, so even though there might be an ultimate goal that a person wants to get to, they'll have these micro goals to learn things in order to get to the goal. Whereas a person uh, without hope does what they call mastery goals. A person, they, they learn easy tasks that don't challenge them for growth. And when they fail, they just quit. Well, I didn't get it. I'm done. Hope gives us more feeling of control over our environment. And it's directly related to positive outcomes. So here's, here's what they found. Students, when they studied like college students, students with high hope were far more likely to graduate college. And students without hope were more likely to be dismissed because of bad grades. They were all equal in terms of intelligence, but hope made the difference. It, 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 had, it had nothing to do with IQ. It had everything to do with hope. And it doesn't even matter the person's age. A high level of hope is the most powerful predictor of a person's well-being. It even appears to buffer our, our anxiety about death and dying. It doesn't matter whether the person is 17 or 65. Hope helps keeps us alive. So now psychologists are believing that hope might be the most important feeling or state of emotion that we can experience. It's the key to good health, the best predictor of a meaningful existence, and an indicator of academic and athletic performance. And here's the thing. It's not something that you either have or you don't have. It's something that can be cultivated. It's something that can be acquired. It can be nourished. It's like the psychologists are just figuring that out in the last 30 years. And 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul said, these three things abide. Faith, hope, and love. He said, we need those things. So if you need some counseling, make sure you go to a Christian one. <laughs> They're more up on hope. It's important. 
So we are going to be in Genesis, starting in chapter 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or on your, on your phone. There's Bibles under your seats. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. You get the story of Abraham. It's called Abram here. His name hasn't been changed yet. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. It says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him his righteousness. The first way that hope is brought is a promise brings hope. A promise brings hope. In this situation, God promises some things to Abram. He promises him protection. He says, I'm your shield. Because Abram's in a, in a land where he's all alone. He's away from his family, his tribe. And God says, I'm your shield. And he also says, I'm, got, I'm promising you a great reward. So he has these promises. He has protection from God. And he has a great reward from God. But Abraham still needs hope. He has promises, but he doesn't have hope because he says, I'm childless. He says, what good is all this great reward if it just dies with me and it goes to somebody who's not even related to me? My servant is going to inherit all my stuff. All my reward, somebody else is going to get. And it doesn't mention in this passage, but we know Abram is also old. He's already old at this point. He says, yeah, you're offering me these great promises, but I have no hope because I have no child. A slave's going to inherit my possessions, and I'm old. And so God gives him some hope. He gives him a further promise. He says, you will have an heir. He's specifically saying, you know, and an heir in this time would be a son. And he says, it's going to, you're going to have a son from your own body. This is going to be your genetic, your blood heir. And in fact, you're going to have numerous descendants. Count the stars if you can. That's going to be what your descendants are like. He says, I'm giving you some hope. That one area where you're feeling hopeless because you don't have a child, he says, don't worry, you're going to have children. I don't know if you've ever been outside. It's If you grew up in the city and never been out to like the real country mountains, it was a, I was an adult before I actually like saw the Milky Way galaxy. But Abraham's living in a time where there's no streetlights. So when he looks up, he sees a lot of stars. And so with this promise of a son from his own body, Abraham, Abraham now has hope. He believes. He believes righteously. God says this is, this is righteous that he believes. It's true. It's 
it's a good thing. And this promised son brings a hope to Abraham because now he's sure of the future. Anybody with a kid ever made a pinky promise or pinky swear? The origin, you might not want to do that. I found out the origin of the pinky swear is most likely from Japan. And it actually means, I can't pronounce the Japanese word, need uh, Andrea here, but it actually means finger cut off. So supposedly uh, the people in Japan believe if you break your pinky promise, you have to cut off your pinky finger in return. Um, some say it was created by the Japanese mafia. Don't know that for sure. But the vow was actually finger cut off, 10,000 fist punchings, whoever lies has to swallow a 1,000 needles. <laughs> okay, Going to keep that promise. <laughs> And Abraham is so sure of God's promise that he has hope. See, a promise brings hope because a promise is always for the future. I don't promise the past. That's already done. You think about it. Even if I have a lousy promise, if the bully says, I'm going to beat you up tomorrow, I can say, you know what? You want me to live until tomorrow. It's a future thing. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the writer writes, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surround us, surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying we have a hope for the future because Jesus is going to, he not only started our journey in the faith, he's going to finish it. We have a hope for the future, for what God is doing in my life and in your life and in other people's lives. And Jesus himself is also the example because when we read the Gospels, Jesus is facing the cross, and he's not looking forward to that. He prays, Lord, if you could take this cup from me, please do. But he also has a hope. He's willing to go through it because he knows at the end, he will sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. He has a promise for the future. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.18 Paul encourages us, So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We look forward to the future. I can't see the future, but I know it. Because it's promised. What's my focus? I look forward to the return of Jesus. Just as Abram looked forward to the coming of his son, and later the people look forward to the coming of the Messiah. And I don't just look forward to the return of Jesus, I look forward to what Jesus will do in me and through me while I live. 
and the promise. See, sometimes you hear we're living in the past or we're stuck in the present. And that happens because that's the stuff that's affecting me right now. My past and my present. But we also need to remember my hope affects my present as well. What I hope for the future affects me now too. Because I have a promise. Let's move ahead. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, 9 through 15. God is back again. And he says in verse 9, Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But then the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, No, you did laugh. So a promise brings hope, but also a person brings hope. A person brings hope. Because a promise is only as good as the person giving it. So the Lord, who has previously brought the promise to Abraham, now brings the promise to Sarah. He says, in a year you will have a son. Sarah hears this, but Sarah needs hope. She says, I'm old, Abraham's old. We're both old. Sarah herself, she says, I'm past childbearing age. She's gone through the hot flashes and all that kind of stuff. I'm done. And so she laughs. And it's because she laughs inside. She laughs to herself. She laughs in her mind at that future. She has no hope for that promise. But the promise comes from the Lord. I am. And the Lord says, nothing is possible. I am. I am has not only given you a promise, I am has given you a timetable. In a year, you will have a son. And the Lord will be back to confirm it. See you in a year. And in fact, I am knows Sarah's inner self. He says, I know what's going on in your mind. Surely I know your body. You laughed. The person brings hope. We don't often compare our last two presidents, Obama and Trump, in similar ways, but it's interesting. I was thinking about this. They both made vague promises in their campaigns. Change, make America great again. Now, 
we could certainly have debates if we want to have a political discussion about how much each of them kept or will be keeping their promises. We look at their let's look at their records a hundred years from now. <laughs> you know, our interpretations would be different. But here's the thing. You know, as as I talk to different people, both both times, I remember uh, before President Obama first, or when he first got elected, and it was his first inauguration, and a lady was getting interviewed on TV, and she was so excited. She said, "President Obama is going to pay my mortgage," and I said, "Wow, I don't even remember him promising that. He can pay mine too, you know." So I think she's going to be disappointed. And then before uh, Donald Trump got elected, I remember talking to some different people, and they were they were they were they didn't necessarily like Donald Trump, but they said, "Well, he's going to do this, this, and this, and that's what I'm voting on." Or give me just this one thing. And and my my mind was just going, "Well, just because he promised it doesn't mean he's going to do it." Politicians promise all kinds of stuff. And here's one thing I can totally be sure of. Whatever either one of them did or will do, it's not going to last. <laughs> a, per, a promise is only good as the person giving it. But Numbers twenty three nineteen, God is not a man that he might lie, or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act, promise and not fulfill? That promise is good if he gives it. It's going to last. In Luke 7, 68, it says, Jesus went with them, and this is a centurion had come and asked, sent some servants to come and uh, ask Jesus to heal his servant. And it says, Jesus went with them, and while he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion recognized, Jesus, your word is good. If you say you're going to do it, then you do it. You don't have to actually, like, be here. If God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He said, maybe living in the past or stuck in the present, because that's what is affecting me now. But hope affects my present as well. And I have a promise given to me by the one person who's always able to fulfill his promise. Always. Genesis 21, 1-7. We're a year later. The Lord came to Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Well, what else did you expect? <laughs> Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. 
at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When Isaac, his son, was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. Promise brings hope. A person brings hope. And pregnancy brings hope. You know, I've, I've slipped into this myself, as I've heard other people. We, we sometimes say we're trying to get pregnant. What people actually mean is we're trying to have a child. I've never met anybody that says, I just want to be pregnant. <laughs> I've never heard a woman say that. When, when they hear how long an elephant has to be pregnant, they go, oh, no. <laughs> it's like years. No, pregnancy is not the goal. Pregnancy is a solid step toward the goal. So pregnancy brings hope. Because it means, ah, we're moving. And so the Lord did return one year later, just like he said he would. And who's there? Isaac. Isaac is the son, and he's brought into the promise. And now Sarah is able to live in the hope. She, now, she still laughs, but now she's laughing with joy rather than doubt. The pregnancy brought her through the hope. There's a article years ago. It was uh, about a man, uh, Eugene Land. He was a self-made millionaire. And he changed the lives of a sixth grade class in East Harlem. He had been asked to speak to this class of 59 sixth graders. And he wasn't sure what he could say to encourage these sixth graders to stay in school. What would be interesting to sixth graders about him? He wasn't sure. The school was predominantly black and Puerto Rican. He wasn't even sure if he was going to be able to get them to look at him. It's not like he had magic tricks or anything cool like that. And so he scrapped his notes and he decided to speak from his heart. And among the things he said is, stay in school and I'll help pay college tuition for every one of you. And he gave all those kids hope. 90% of that class graduated high school. Because he gave them hope that day. The Son of God was promised. Jesus was born. Then he lived. Then he died. Then he rose. Then he ascended. And he promised to come back. You know, Jesus told a parable of the mustard seed in Matthew 13. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky may come and nest in its branches. It's 
starts with seeds. This is this promise of, of how the gospel and how the church and God's people grow. Seeds, and then they're planted. And then it grows. Then it becomes a tree. Then birds come and nest. This, this growth is promised, even though it starts at a small thing. It's like pregnancy. It starts as a two cells coming together. Think about this. Ask yourself this. What is God doing in my life right now? What seed is in my life? Or what's been planted? What's growing? What's becoming a tree? Who's coming to nest? And not just in my own life. What's pregnant in this church? Not who, what. What's being planted? What's growing? Who's coming? See, especially with churches we live in the past or are stuck in the present. But hope affects our present as well. I have a promise given by the one always able to fulfill. And just like that parable of the mustard seed, God's going to give us steps all along the way. There's another little story. There was a man, he was walking past a baseball field. Little leaguers were playing. And so he went by the dugout and he saw a little boy. He said, what's the score? And the little boy in the dugout says, it's 18 to nothing. We're behind. And the man said, oh, I bet you're discouraged. And the little boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't got to bat yet. He had hope for the future. We haven't had our turn. You know, Abraham's hope wasn't in himself. It wasn't in Sarah. It wasn't even really in Isaac. His hope was in the God who gave him the son. I know I've got some skills. I've got some goals. So do all of you. But my hope for my own life, my hope for this church to become a reflection of the church in heaven is not in me. It's in God who sent his son. Let's pray. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. May those who dwell in your love be secure. Lord, you promise to be our fortress. You promise to be our peace. You promise to give us prosperity. Lord, we hope in you for our own lives, for the lives of this congregation. Continue planting seeds in us and in our community.
let us continue to cultivate and see things grow so that many may nest here. We hope in your Son. Lord, today you invite us all to come as we prepare to take your table. We remember that you are indeed with us. Just as the Lord promised to Abraham that he would return in a year, you promised to return to us, and yet you also promised that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. We thank you for your presence and for the hope for the future. In Jesus, our hope, we pray. Amen.